before we uh, came out last night, and we had a prayer time in the back, and I just, I just, uh, actually my prayer time, I thank God that we can have fun in church. I don't think God is offended by fun, especially when we're celebrating Him. That song, uh, both of those songs are about where's the love, and, and, uh, and, uh, Love would cure most of the ills, and, and I just want to remind you uh, that this series was started out of watching just some of the mess we're making in our society, and some of the uh, kind of uh, division and stuff, and I just wanted us to come back to what really matters. The first one is put God's, lo- uh, God's word in your mind, uh, put God's praise in your mouth, and put God's love in your heart. Now we're going to get back to God, and we're going to put some money in the basket, but uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's also good for you. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. Here's the deal, though. We, we have been singing it since when forever. I don't know. I grew up in the, I remember the hippies going, peace, love, togetherness. And they all turned out to, you know, big CEOs of big corporations. So um, I, I, we've talked about this. We've known that more love is the solution to so many problems. And yet the problem is we, we still have to sing about it because we haven't figured it out yet. Why is that? Because love is not what we thought it was in the 60s or what you thought it was when you were 18, or certainly not 16. Uh, Love is not warm and fuzzies. That might be infatuation. That might be lust. I don't know what it is, but love is not easy, and it's not warm and fuzzies. It is stinking hard work. That's why it doesn't last. We put a little love in your heart, but then you go to do it, and it's hard. If you're married, you know love is hard. There are warm fuzzies on rare occasions. Most of it is hard. It's hard work. If you're a parent, you know <laughs> love is hard. The warm fuzzies, it kind of wears off when they start crawling. It's kind of over. From then on, no warm fuzzies, right? Here is the problem. When we sing a, an oversimplistic, we kind of, we like that. Put love in your heart. Let's just all love each other. And, and last till about halfway through the parking lot, right? So, what is the problem? The problem is you can't just put a little love in your heart because you don't need a little love. You need a lot of love. And you can't put it in your heart because your heart may not be open. You say, well, no, I want love. But that's not the same. Yeah, I think I want love. I agree with the idea of love. But when I talk about putting a little bit of God's love or a lot of God's love in your heart, something has to happen. Your heart has to be prepared to receive it. And the reason that, A, the concept of putting love in your heart doesn't, doesn't really work in, the, in just a hu- human terms is we can't humanly have the right kind of love. It has to be an unconditional love that comes only from God. And the reason we don't accept that oftentimes is because our heart is closed. So there's two kinds of hearts in Scripture. This is just kind of how I categorize them. I've done a lot of research on the word heart. You're going to hear more heart passages today than you've ever heard in your life, okay? And, uh, and yet, there's kind of breaks down into two categories that I want to call the, the closed heart and the open heart. And the closed heart may be closed for any number of reasons we'll talk about, it, but it is, in essence, it is closed and it is unblessable. When we have a closed heart, whether it's bitterness or hurt or whatever it might be, we, God cannot bless us because we won't receive it. And so in, the, in Scripture, when it talks about your heart, on rare occasions it talks about the actual organ, but most of the time it's talking about the center of who you are, that the, the very core of your, of your aspirations, of your will, of your desire, uh, your priorities, all that stuff is your heart, your center. Okay, and so in Scripture, it oftentimes describes that as closed. God can't bless you because you won't receive His blessing. 
all right? And so if we really want to have some love in our heart, we need to, to have something happen. So here's what it sounds like um, in Psalm 51. Right after <clears throat> David was busted for, uh, uh, by Nathan, he, uh, the, the, the prophet, uh, busted for having an affair with Bathsheba and all that goes with it, uh, the original soap opera, um, if you know the story. And uh, uh, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't try to write, well, it's not a big deal. He doesn't try to justify it. He has a breakdown. He realized, I have blown it, and he feels awful. And he writes this psalm, and I just read a portion of it to you from Psalm 51.10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Here is what we need to understand. Create in me a pure heart, O God. It's not I'm going to create a pure heart in me. It's God, you're going to have to create a pure heart. Create a pure in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Remember, this whole series is about getting on solid ground when everything feels shaky. Renew a steadfast. Getting your heart right is essential to getting a steadfast, a solid spirit, a solid self, if you will, um, uh, within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then in verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. I just want to give you the, the end goal, a broken, and you're saying, well, that sounds terrible. There's different kinds of brokenness, and we'll talk about that. I think David has the right idea. He is on shaky ground. He is messed up big time. His world is in trouble. He humbles himself and goes to God. Uh, so the two kinds of heart. The first one, closed heart. Uh, an unblessable heart. This is really an idolatrous heart. A closed heart is something that is put, uh, it's a heart that has made something else more important than allowing God to bless you or having a relationship with God. That is a closed heart. There's all kinds of reasons for it, and we'll talk about it. But let me just read uh, one of the most, <laughs> in Acts 7, 51, one of the most aggressive <laughs> references to this. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. That's kind of a funny... Don't you think a little bit? It's kind of like, what? So you remember when David was fighting uh, Goliath? What did he call him? His best insult was, you uncircumcised Philistine. That was, that's, that's like a big Jewish insult, okay? That's what it means. That because what circumcision, I thought that was a lot funnier than you seem to be thinking about it. <laughs> I've probably thought about it a lot longer than you have. But anyway... Circumcision was actually the sign that the Jews were God's chosen people. And to call them uncircumcised, call the Philistine, you're not one of God's chosen people. And to say to the Jews, you, your ears and your hearts are uncircumcised, is in other words, you have not allowed your ears and your heart to become a part of being God's people. In other words, you're not listening to God. You're not following God. And so we start off with this prospect of an uncircumcised, that our hearts can be bad, it can be closed. Um, so let me just give you the ones that, that I think are interesting. You can look up, just do a word search in the word heart in Scripture, you'll find a lot of really interesting things. Acts um, 8.21 uh, talks about a bitter and captive heart, a bitter and captive heart. Now just listen to this, because this explains why some hearts are closed and can't receive God's blessings. You have no part of sharing this meaning because your heart is not right before God. Repent of the wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So as you think, if you think about this, uh, having a closed heart means that something else has captured your heart. 
Having a closed heart means that, and he, and he talks about here at the end of this, he talks about you're not right with God. That's a phrase I, I learned growing up, and, and it, is a, it is a scriptural phrase. When the ground is shaking, and I'm shaking with it, and I'm starting to get a little unstable in my faith and my, my worldview and so on, it's because I'm not right with God. It's not that God doesn't love me, I'm not going to have it. It means I'm not in good relationship right now because something else has become more important. Fear, bitterness, anger, whatever it might be. And in this passage, he identifies bitterness and captive to sin. So it could be something that is controlling you, it's some addiction or something. It could be you let bitterness get in. I've known lots of people who, who were bitter at the church because they were mistreated, and, and rightly so to understand that they were bitter. Bitterness didn't help them, though. It only hurt them. Their heart had been captured by something else. One of the things that caused a closed heart is this captured heart. Uh, the second one in Matthew 13, 15 is a calloused heart. A callous heart for, listen to this, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. Turn, by the way, is going to relate to a word I'm going to introduce in the second part of this talk. And here is the out, here's the problem. Here's what they're missing out on. Yes, they have a calloused heart. And we'll talk about why in a second. But here's what they're missing out on by allowing their heart to be calloused and I would heal them. By carrying around the bitterness, by carrying around this stuff, by having a closed heart, you're missing out on the very thing you need, which is healing of your heart. So I was thinking about, so sometimes scripture doesn't always um, explain every word. So sometimes for me, I just have to stop and pray about it and think about it. And so a calloused heart, I was thinking about a calloused heart. So if you're just going to go to, you know, the eighth grade level and just say, what does callous mean? Or what do you see callous wear? I remember um, when I used to play ball a lot, um, the trainer would have to, I would build up calluses on my feet, right? And the trainer would come and shave them off. Does that sound gross? I know. It's early in the morning. Deal with it. Um, you, You know what I'm saying though? Because if anybody's ever played ball or whatever, you get calluses and they get thick and they have to be shaved off. And what it was, it was from repeated abuse. Running every day. Running really hard every day. What's interesting about a calloused heart, I was thinking about this. What would cause a calloused heart? Someone who's been repeatedly abused. You see, you could look at certain people and go, they have a calloused heart. And I understand why. They certainly would be justified in having a calloused heart, except it's only wounding them. It's only hurting them. What if they could shave off the calluses off the heart, peel it back, and let God at it? Let God bring healing. If today you feel like you get it, let's just stop. Some of you are looking at me like you don't understand a closed heart, right? Um, Having a hard time understanding it. Have you ever gotten in a fight with someone you love? And you wouldn't speak to each other for whatever period of time, hopefully not very long, but whatever period of time, a day, a week, whatever it is. In that period, when you weren't speaking to that person because you were so upset with them, mad, angry, hurt, whatever it might have been, you had a closed heart toward them, correct? Just so we understand. A calloused heart is a closed heart toward God. Maybe people have injured us. Maybe people have done awful things to us. And so we just have been hurt too much. We're never going to let that happen again, ever. And so we become calloused. I was also thinking about, um, I was thinking about um, kind of the idea of being unimpressible. A callous heart is one that is unimpressed with God, isn't it? I was saying, how does one get to the point where they're not impressed with the truth of God's word or the power of God's Holy Spirit or 
the love that God has for us and we're so undeserving of? How does one become so callous to that? And I was thinking about this. And, and I, here's what I came up with. And you can agree, disagree, whatever you want. But I was thinking maybe one of the ways this happens. Cody and I were having this conversation uh, a couple days ago. Um, we see people come through here. People come, stay for a while, leave. Some people stay a long time. It's always disheartening, <laughs> if, you, if you allow me, to see people come through, stay for a while, and then move on, and we don't see either any evidence of spiritual growth or any evidence of spiritual vitality. Like, I'm not even sure they were Christians. They might have been nice people. They might have done some nice things around here, more of a humanitarian kind of thing. I was thinking about this. So I was reading recently, and, and, and an author suggested that in this calloused heart thing, that it's possible for some people to become exposed to the gospel but never really get to the heart of it. It's almost like being inoculated with religion as opposed to understanding the love relationship with Christ. And they get inoculated with religion and they think because their parents baptized them as a child that, that, that they're good to go, but they've never personally experienced anything. I'm going to hit this a little bit later. I'm going to talk a little more about how do we need to do that. And it's possible that people could just become callous. They're over-familiar with the things of God, but not God himself. Do you follow me? Went to church a whole life, but never understood that God loved them. How many times have I said, oh, yeah, my family took me to church every week, I just never got it. I thought it was a set of rules. And then one day I met Jesus, and my whole life changed, right? Up to that point, they had a calloused heart because they thought Christianity was a religion or a system or a to-do list, Right? So callous heart can come many ways. Um, and then there's uh, another one, and it's an evil heart. An evil heart, Genesis 6, 5. And this is, this is brutal. This is brutal. Listen to this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every, in <laughs> this is amazing. There's a lot of like real definitive statements here. And, and that every inclination of the thoughts of, human, of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a, not, a lot of, not a lot of loopholes there, really. Every thought, all the time, evil. And I like to think it's not true, but I'm not sure. Luke uh, 6, 45, a good man brings good things out of good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Matthew 15, 8, 18 and 19 says this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Here's what I want to suggest to you. We live in a society that thinks that at the core of everybody is good. At the very heart of everybody is good. And that if we can just keep progressing toward that, we will become better and better and better. I don't think that's true. Cody mentioned a few weeks ago, in the last uh, 100 years or so, or a little more than that, we've killed more people violently than have died in all of history combined before that. We're not progressing toward goodness. And I'll explain what we are progressing toward. I don't believe at the core of us is good. I, I believe at the core of us is the possibility of being good because we're made in God's image. But without God's work in our life to bring his image to bear on us and to be reflected in us, I'm not... I don't think we are good. Evil hearts. How does a person get an evil heart? Bad decisions, bad choices over time make someone a bad person. And none of us can claim to be all good. It's interesting because I was reading, I don't know, I don't, uh, he's not a Christian, I don't believe. Uh, uh, Leon Jaworski, anybody know who Leon Jaworski was? 
Uh, some of the older folks might remember he was involved in the Watergate prosecution. But before that, he was an investigator of war crimes in Germany after World War II. And a part of what he did was he went and he examined all these war crimes, found the criminals, and sent them to trial. But he was so shocked that they weren't just all evil, nasty, terrible people. He said just regular people did some atrocious kinds of things, some awful things. He gives one example. It's a group of, of shot down uh, flyers, uh, pilots, uh, allied forces, shot down and captured. And they're moving them from one place to another, and somehow they had to march them through a village, something, I don't remember, something broke down, I can't remember. The, and in this village, just farmers, just regular folks, all of a sudden started shouting at these captured soldiers and began to throw rocks. And by the time it was done, whether the guards couldn't stop them or didn't want to stop them, they had managed to, with their bare hands, rocks, whatever they could have, slaughter every one of them. He went back years later and interviewed one of the grandchildren of one of the people there who was involved in the massacre. And the granddaughter of this person said, I can't believe that that would be true. I can't, my, my grandfather was the most loving, caring, warm, affectionate person I know in my whole life. Here is what Jaworski suggests, that there is a monster in the basement of all of us. That given the right circumstances and the opportunity and the cultural um, permission, we would do terrible things. You're saying, well, not me. Because that's what I said, not me. He goes on to explain that what happens is, is that what we, and so he says the converse argument would be made, well, then why doesn't, why didn't this kind of stuff happen more often? Why aren't there just mass murders of people more often? He said it doesn't happen as much because you live in a, in a, in a country of law and rule and order. And your country idealizes that, enforces that, and culturally expects that. You go to a country where there's no, so for example, he said almost all dictatorships are evil because there's no one to call the dictator to account because he's not there legitimately. He's not legitimate at the top, and so nothing really matters except graft, corruption, and what you can get away with. It's evil from the top down. The only thing that holds back evil in our lives is because it would not be accepted in the country that we live in. And you're thinking, well, that's just silly. Look at Rwanda, right? Look at so many places that have just erupted in this awful violence between tribal groups or religious groups or whatever. Look at the Middle East right now. It was an interesting thing. You see his view of the world derived from having to examine some of the most awful things ever done on this planet is that every one of us has a monster in the basement. That's not news to Scripture. <laughs> scripture has been telling us that all along, that if we choose consistently evil things and give in to that, we will become so completely comfortable with that. We will be evil. An evil heart exists. Scary thought. It's going to get better here. We're going to go to turn the corner in a minute, but just want to wake you up a little bit. Let me just go through the rest of these real quickly. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? A deceitful heart. Here's, here's what I, I, how I think about that. I don't know what my motives are at any given moment. I think generally I hope my motives are Holy Spirit inspired and pretty good. But let's be honest. There's a little bit of me in there somewhere, right? Like I'm talking to you right now. What do I really hope for? I hope you'll grow and I hope you get strong in your faith and I hope I come out looking good in the deal. Right? 
I mean, I hope I do a good job and you kind of think I'm cool, right? Or interesting or something. Is that too honest? You're not okay with that? Oh, well, let's talk about you then. Why are you here? Are your motives absolutely 100% pure? I'm just here to please God and to grow. Really? Are you trying to earn brownie points with God maybe a little bit? Just a tiny little bit? You're hoping maybe God will bless you a little extra because you show up today? Here's my point is that we're not even sure why we do what we do always. The heart is deceitful, and that's why it's God that has to create a pure heart, not just ourselves. Let me finish up with this section here real quickly. Okay, it might not be that quick. Anyway, a, a stubborn heart in, in Mark. You okay? Yeah. It's good news coming. It'll be all right. Uh, Mark 3, uh, 3 through 6. Jesus said to the man who with shriveling. So here's the, here's the story on this one. It, Jesus is about to heal a guy, and all the religious types go, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't see heal on the Sabbath. Jesus could do pretty much what he wanted on the Sabbath, right? Because it's kind of about him. Um, and he goes, uh, and so he has a guy stand up for everybody, and he says, uh, he says to all these religions, which is lawful on the Sabbath. By the way, when I read this, I always think of Barney Fife, or uh, Gomer Pyle on Barney Fife, or on right? Citizen's Arrest. Citizen, no? Anybody know that one? <laughs> Some things I should keep in here, I guess. Um, so he says, what is lawful on Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. He looked at them in anger. <laughs> Jesus got ticked off and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. These people were so stubborn. You know what stubbornness is about? Pride. It's all about pride. Uh, by the way, um, most of the things that get us in trouble are pride. I want to do it my way. I'm going to do it. Right? Pride. One of the things that will keep a heart closed is, I've got to figure it out. I have got this ticket. Really? You don't. You don't. The sooner you come to that, it took David a pretty harsh reality to come to reality, a pretty harsh experience to come to reality. And then a hardened heart. And this is when you'll hear again and again. It's almost always used of Jews and educate, uh, people, religious people who just chose not to do God's will. In the passage I'm going to read for you, it actually is a reference to Gentiles who out of ignorance had hardened their hearts to the truth about what God was. Here's what it says. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They didn't want to know about God. They didn't want anything to do with God. It is a willful for willful ignorance or ignoring God's will. God has a better plan, but I think I've got a better plan than God. That is a hardened heart. So all of those are things that can cause us, and there's others. Those are the ones I chose that can cause us to have closed hearts. Now, let's get to the good news, all right? Let's get to the part that helps us open our hearts to God. Let's get to the part where we can experience God's blessing. So the open heart is a blessable heart. It is what um, David referred to in the first passage, which is creating me a clean heart, a pure heart. How do we do that? It's not us. It is God that does that. And so what is the first thing we do to do this? We humble ourselves. We have to humble. That last one, hardened heart and stubborn hearts is about pride, about not wanting God's will. We have to humble ourselves before God. Here's what it says in Isaiah 57, 15. For, and this is God uh, speaking to us. For this is what the high and the holy one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. It's God. I live in a high and holy place, but also with one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, a humble heart, humbling ourselves before God. How do we do that? How do we humble our heart before God? Um, we have to repent. 
And this word repentance is something that scares us because we, we, we have in our mind uh, that we have to feel guilty and feel awful about ourselves and all this kind of stuff. Repentance, repenting is one of the greatest tools we have in our arsenal for standing on solid ground when the world around us is shaking. Repentance. In the Old Testament, repentance is um, changing the way we look at things. I'm going to change the way I look at things. I'm going to change the way I'm going. So I'm going this way. It's not honoring God. I'm going to go this way now. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to turn away from that. What's interesting is we often think it has to do with guilt. But the Old Testament word for, metanoia is the New Testament. I can't remember the Hebrew word. But the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word, actually has an interesting, uh, uh, interesting nuance to it in which it isn't so much about changing your mind and going in directions. It's about moving toward comfort. It's about moving toward comfort and easing the pressure of life. You say, how is that? How can that be? Because what happens is when you move, when you repent, you move toward God, um, a lot of things change for the better. You're no longer beating your head against the wall thinking you're going to get that fulfillment, that joy, whatever you're looking for from that thing you can't get it from. And you're going to have a clean heart. So think about a wonderful example of this is um, the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son story? The prodigal son, you know the story of the prodigal son. It's a parable Jesus told. Uh, man has two sons. His younger son, there's all kinds of cultural issues here. The younger son asked for his inheritance, which means, Dad, I wish you were dead. The younger son wouldn't get the inheritance. Anyway, there's just so many things that would just tick the people off and they heard the parable that you and I don't get. But here's what we do get. He ended up living with the pigs, bad place for a Jewish kid. And he's living with pigs in a faraway land because he partied away, all of his, partied away all of his money. And then in, in verse 17 of Luke chapter 15, he says, when he came to his senses, he suddenly went, ugh. And some translations say, when he came to himself. When he came to his senses, he got up and he went back home. He humbly went back to the father, and he repented. By the way, the prodigal son is not the important per person in this story. We're all prodigal sons. It's the father that's the important one, who represents God, because he lets us come back home. Repentance means just coming back home. That's what David was doing. He was coming back home to God. God, I'm sorry, I blew it. I re I blew Please change my heart. Please change me. Repentance allows us to humble ourselves. Uh, by the way, it's, it's interesting, because it's kind of like, um, like a GPS uh, I, I have a personal conflict with the lady who does the GPS, whoever she is, um, because um, any man in the room who says they're comfortable using a GPS is either lying or we're taking their man card right now. <laughs> Simply because we know better. You see spiritual applications already, right? What is amazing about men, if they're anything like me, is that they will set, I have a pretty good sense of direction. We were on the East Coast one time, and I knew we were going south, and so we were in this thing, and so I just headed south. She said, kept saying, go a different way, and I said, no, we're just going this way. What I didn't know, there was fingers of bays from the ocean that came in all along the way. It, I would have never, ever gotten there. How, how incredibly absurd it is that I thought I could map out a route in a place I'd never even been. Isn't that absurd? Isn't that absurd? <laughs> you with me? I, I've got this. God, I don't need your help. I've got this life thing. I've got it figured out. I've got my route planned. You've never been there. You don't know what's ahead. It's absurd. And one of the things of repentance is to acknowledge the absurd of, absurdity of me thinking I can map out my whole life, not even knowing what's up there, and not even really fully understanding the point of life most of the time. <laughs> right? Right? 
And so when I begin to think that way, when I begin to live that way, I need to repent. I need to turn back from that. I need to move toward the comfort of knowing that my, my unconditionally loving Father accepts me and will guide me into the future. Here's what's interesting about the word repentance, because uh, depending on what kind of tradition you're raised in, you may have never heard the word before. If other traditions, you had to do it every week because you're going to lose salvation. Here's the real truth about repentance. It's not about guilt. It's not about guilt. When you repent, it's not guilt. It's that, that's not the motivating factor. There is conviction of the Holy Spirit, but there's not, guilt is not the point. Because here's what guilt is. Guilt is, oh, I did something stupid, I feel bad. How am I going to get rid of this feeling? Right? How am I going to get it out of So let's say you sinned against your wife. And you sinned, sinned against my wife. Did something that really hurt her. You knew it was wrong. She knew it was wrong. Shouldn't have done it. And, okay, honey, what do I got to do to get out of this mess? That's the wrong motivation. That's about guilt. By the way, the difference between guilt and true repentance is the difference between the prodigal son and Judas. Judas felt bad about what he had done. But for him, it was guilt. How am I, I can't stand the pain of this. I'm just going to go end it so I don't have to deal with the pain anymore. By the way, everything I just said about Judas was about self. I did something wrong. I'm a terrible person. I'm going to get rid of the pain. I'm going to end it. Guilt is all about self. Let me give you something more powerful than guilt. It is godly sorrow. And it is not self-centered. It is other-centered. Let's say it takes the same scenario with my wife and I've done something wrong to you and say, honey, I feel terrible for what I've done because it hurt you. And I know it diminishes your trust in me. And I know it's painful for you. I am sorry. See, I'm not guilty and trying to get out of the feeling of guilt. I care about what has happened, what I've caused to happen. Godly sorrow is about what I have done, but it is about the impact it's had on others. So what does it have to do with God? Ultimately, when you do something dumb, self-destructive, yes, it hurts you, but it hurts the heart of God who created you for more. And when I can come to the place where I'm going this way and I suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I'm going the wrong way. I'm moving away from God. I'm not giving honor and glory to God in this behavior. I'm going to turn back to God because I want God, the one who loves me unconditionally, the father in the story of the prodigal son, I want him to be overjoyed that I'm his child. It is other-centered. And as that otherness enters in, then I become healed. The guilt, yes, the guilt goes away, but that wasn't the primary focus anyway. And as I say, I'm sorry to my wife, we're restored and we're together again. Yes, the guilt subsides eventually because she's so loving and accepting. And if I ever did anything wrong, I hope that's how she reacts. But <laughs> repent. And then that's a, a, a humble heart. And then a heart of faith. A couple of, I don't have time to share these, but there's a couple of examples. Matthew 9, where um, a man is brought in and Jesus saw the faith of the people that brought him and and says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then again, later in 9, in verse 20, there's a woman who touched the hem of the garnet, garment, and he looks at her and he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. There's a heart with faith, which just means trusting in God. It means to believe that he is who he said he is, and he trust him. There's a heart set on the kingdom. It's about following his, it's about following his priority, his will, um, actively seeking his direction. So, I don't know if I have time to do this. Let's do this. You got a minute? All right. So, um, so, so there's a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he, he, expert in, in biblical languages and um, scholar. And, and so I don't know if I can explain this well, but I'm going to try. Um, he said that 
repenting is coming back to the Father, but that's only part of it. But you've got to stay close to the Father and journey with Him, follow Him, and have a kingdom-oriented heart, okay? And the passage I was going to read for you is setting your mind on things above. It's found in Colossians 3.1. Setting your mind on things above, not getting all caught up in all the other stuff. And he says that following Jesus is like living in the Greek middle voice. Now, here's, so there's an active voice, and there's a passive voice, and there's a middle voice. And so the active voice is, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And most of us address our lives that way. The passive voice would be like, Jesus is just going to take care of it. I'm just going to take a nap for the rest of my life and put it on automatic pilot because he's taking care of everything, right? That would be passive, right? He says the middle voice is somewhere between the two. Jesus is in charge, but I'm still working pretty hard to keep up. It'd be like, it'd be like um, me and my wife and GPS. I don't want the GPS. I don't need the GPS. I know where I'm going. Active voice right? And I'm very confident until I'm not anymore. And when I'm not anymore, then my wife says, honey, would you like me to turn the GPS on? And I say, yes. <laughs> but here is, the, here is the problem. I, having the GPS turned on doesn't fix the problem. I've still got to drive. I've still got to obey the GPS. And don't think that every corner doesn't give me t- pause. I think I know better. I think I... That would be in the middle voice, right? And so once we have returned to Christ, we walk in a relationship. We still drive, but we're taking instruction every day. And as long as we keep our heart open, he will instruct us and guide us. That's a brilliant analogy. I'm sorry, but that's really good. You need to take that home with you, okay? <laughs> so I just want to make sure. Heart, and I, <clears throat> and I want you to know it was really hard to say that after just talking about a humbled heart. Anyway, so um, <laughs> let me just give you this. Would also an open, humble heart, uh, a blessable heart. An open heart is a blessable heart. Here's a passage in Romans 5.1. It says, and I want you to just listen. I'll just read it. Listen to the benefits. These are some pretty good French benefits of having an open heart. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not push us to put us to shame because, and here is the powerful imagery of that open heart, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You want to walk around with a closed heart? Go ahead. I want an open heart. I want it as wide open as I can get it. Open that sucker wide because God is trying to pour something in there. And I want whatever it is he's trying to pour. God has poured his love into our hearts. So we say, Add a little, put a little love in your heart. Why don't you just put a whole lot of love in your heart? Better yet, let God put a whole lot of love in your heart and you just make sure it's open on a daily basis. Let me finish with this. Um, a glad and sincere heart. Here's what it says in Acts 2, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day I begin my prayer time with, this is the day you have made, Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oftentimes I look at that as, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to rejoice. Right? What if I looked at that differently as a little heart check? I will have my heart open enough that you can do amazing things. And as you do those amazing things, I will receive them, I will accept them, I will recognize them as from you, and I will rejoice, and I will be glad. My experience is that when I'm feeling like the earth underneath me is shaking, I begin to be unsure about me and who I am and where I'm going and my relationship with God. 
it's because I've allowed something to close my heart. And if I would just stop, fill my mind with God's word, fill my mouth with God's praise, and allow him to pour his love in my heart, everything changes. Because I remember what matters and who matters and who my hope is based in. We do not need to live with closed hearts. No matter what's been done to us, no matter what we've done, God has a cure. It's called repentance. Move back to God, your Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. You've been so good to us. And um, some of us are sitting here today and we're just excited about this message because we experience this pretty regularly. There are some of us here today who have closed hearts. And even in this moment, for some of us, thinking about our closed hearts, we know who to blame for. But at the end of the day, it's not whoever we can blame that receives the penalty. They'll get their own rewards or penalties for their own stuff. It is us who suffers because we've allowed that to, to stay closed. So, Lord, whatever self-examination we need today and, to today and whatever work of the Holy Spirit you would like to operate on us and rip off the calluses or break open that, that coconut shell around our heart or whatever it is you need to do, I pray that we would walk out of here today with glad and sincere hearts because we have access to you and you will pour your love into us. Lord, we don't want to put a little love in our heart. We want a lot of love in our heart and it can only come from you. Please create in us today a clean heart. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.